Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. This beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Go Sam To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here as always with Anthony Slater, with Fred Katz. It's playoff time, gentlemen. It's second round. We are doing the luxurious playoff road life edition yet again. I'm here in Phoenix for the first time in quite some time. Western Conference semifinals. Suns get out to a one nothing lead uh, in this series against Dallas. Uh, we're going to get into everything, though, guys. But uh, let me bring you in. What's going on? How are we? Terrific and beautiful Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. Slater, you are a roadie in terms of being a full-time beat man on the Warriors. Um, where does Memphis fall in your, you know, we, we don't talk off court too much, but, um, you know, the don't Grizzlies get me in have trouble to- here, Sam. <laughs> Grizzlies uh, nation. I, listen closely. I mean, like once you're in Memphis, it, it's, yeah, that's it's problem. fun. Yeah. Problem is getting to Memphis, particularly, you know, in a playoff series where they have home court advantage, there's a possibility of three Memphis trips in about like a week's time or so. And it's just really hard to get in and out. Um, because there's like 20 flights per day, basically, that go to this airport from like two different cities. So um, that part don't love. But let me tell you, best media seats are, you know, tied for the best media Ooh, seats. are they we'll good? In the league. All right. Yeah. I haven't been there in a minute. I haven't. It's, um, it's been years. Courtside. I was, nice. I was right. four go feet from the referees as they were deciding Draymond Green's flagrant two, and Draymond Green was like six feet from them. And I saw beforehand that they were, as they were discussing, they're like, yeah, I think – well, it's a one there. Like, I think we're gonna go with the two. I think we should do a two. And I was, and I had like <laughs> it is Draymond, seven seconds. Let's go of, with the two. I think I had seven seconds of delay of knowing that they were gonna give him a two, but Draymond not knowing yet and going, "Ooh, this should be interesting." If and you then had no ethics, Draymond you... and went, "We're gonna go with the flagrant two. And then I was like, and then the eruption happens right there. But it was just a great scene for that anyways. But, Sorry, I cut um, you off. I was going to say, you should have, you know, if you had no ethics, you should have jumped on Twitter in that seven second gap and said, sources, this will be a flagrant too. I'll tell you what, that is that is not the first time that I've heard somebody recount firsthand on a podcast this week about Draymond's flagrant too. I have, uh, <laughs> I have seen emergency podcasts do it even more firsthand than that. Quite firsthand, he will, he will do all the firsthand, and including we could probably bring him on the podcast. He'd break down all the all the series with us. Um, but yeah, no, big time and, for and, us and now. the environment. It is such a good playoff environment in FedEx form. Um, so I really like my experience in Memphis again. But as, if we're ranking in the league, just because of the difficulty of getting there and the fact that it's considered, you know, Western Conference. This is a Western right. Conference series. I'm in Tennessee. Sorry. All good. All good. All right. Real quick, Fred, before I throw it your way, uh, here's what we're getting into today, gentlemen. We got Miami Philly. The heat jump out in that series. Obviously, the Joel Embiid orbital eye fracture injury is just so unfortunate. And hopefully we see him on the back end of the series. But uh, we're going to talk about whether or not the Sixers can survive long enough for him to come back. We need to talk about one James Harden. I, I did not do this intentionally. I'm wearing a T-shirt today that is Right on point. It says, Fear the Beard. It is not a James Harden t-shirt. It's a Brian Wilson, San Francisco Giants 
old school knockoff playoff t-shirt. But we're going to talk about Mr. Harden and his inability to carry the Sixers, at least early on in this series, and whether there could be some kind of ripple effect when it comes to the Sixers planning in the offseason. We know what's at stake when it comes to him being in town. We're going to talk about this Sun series that uh, that I mentioned that I'm at and make our way all the way through. We got a, we got a lot to get into, boys. Uh, I'm going to let y'all take the rundown from there. But Fred, uh, our resident Grizzlies beat writer, um, thoughts, uh, you know, you're not in Memphis at the moment, but thoughts on, on Draymond and flagrant twos in this series. And, and where is that series going? You know, I, I kind of thought the Warriors had the upper hand coming into it. Uh, the Grizzlies are, are, are a little bit of a tough basketball matchup for them. Yeah. Especially from a turnover perspective, the Warriors play, you know, that motion offense that also takes on a lot of risk. They turn the ball over and the Grizzlies, steal the ball more than anybody and they get running off of those live ball turnovers more than anybody. And, uh, you know, they're like the ultimate fast break team. And I kind of thought that would be a great way for them to pull away if they were going to do it. But like watching game one and seeing Draymond miss the first half, seeing or the second half, I should say, and the last minute of the first half, seeing Clay Thompson have a poor shooting performance all the way down to, I mean, he he hit the game-winning three when ended up the game-winning three, but missed a couple free throws at the end, shot a poor percentage. Seeing Steph Curry have a mundane by Steph standards performance and, uh, you know, the Grizzlies still struggle to not pull it out at home. Uh, I think... And I think I think the Warriors right now are 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 in a really good position because they're gonna get a big Steph game. They got the big Jordan Pool game, which might just be a normal Jordan Pool game at this point. Uh, I I I think the Warriors are in a really good position to to take this when when Draymond is actually playing full games. Yeah. Slater, when you have a team like the Warriors that that has three chips under its belt, has all this history, um, you would think they didn't need morale boosters. You know what I mean? You would think that you know, been there and done that, but you, but you have this gap from the 2019 finals to now you have the whole story of so many injuries and, and new faces and, and, and the evolution of this new identity that they're trying to put together. How big was game one when it comes to, you know, sneaking out of there, not only with the W, but, you know, to do it obviously without Draymond and, and going forward, you know, what do you feel like that means? It felt like one of those monumental game ones um, where it reminded me a little of like, Boston in the, in the first round against Brooklyn, right? When Tatum hits the layup, that just felt a lot bigger than just a normal game one win. It was such a swing moment, just like Jaws layup missing. You're like, wow, you know, that's th- this changes the tenor of the series. I think it changes the vibe of both teams. And um, the fact that they just stole home court right away, I, I, obviously, I think it's huge. Um, you know, Memphis did lose game one to Minnesota, and that's something I know Steve Kerr has been trying to remind them of uh, in, in recent days. But, yeah, I mean, I, I you did like some of the matchup, uh, some of the matchups, uh, the way it kind of tilts towards Memphis, but not, I mean, what what you saw in game one, I just, they just have such a difficulty guarding Jordan Poole um, when, I mean, it, he's just changed what the Warriors are because everything is supposed to be so Steph Curry focused when, when, uh, Memphis beat the Warriors in the play-in last season. It was because they like you know top block Steph on everything, and you know Dylan Brooks is is, is doing kind of all his histrionics around Steph, and everything's so Steph focused. Well, everything has changed because it's like why is there two Steph Currys? Why is there another <laughs> Steph Curry over here who's getting to the rim and scoring thirty-one easy? Spider-Man and meme action. Yeah, it's I mean to, like he Steph Curry I believe was minus nine in game one. They won that game in the start of the fourth quarter when Steph Curry yes, sitting on was. the bench. That right used here. to be. That used to be like spooky time for the Warriors. Like the entire fan base would be like, get him back in the game. You know, like the the lead is slipping. And, you know, you would just be watching the clock. When is Kerr able to get step back in? Now it's like, well, Jordan Poole's kind of extending the lead right now, so he can rest a little bit longer. So that that's just changed everything. So Jordan was I- a plus 10, uh, 31 points. And we're going to spin this forward, obviously, but, you know, nine boards, um, nine assists rather, and, and uh, eight boards. Hell of a night uh, as a quick shameless plug. When I sat down with Jordan last week to talk about all this stuff, my favorite moment probably in terms of his just kind of letting the guard down a little bit was I said, you know, what's it like getting compared to Steph? And I asked him in the way I said, I know players don't like comparisons. You are Jordan Poole. So I tried to take some sting off the cliche question that way. But he it surprised me a little bit when he smiled and he was just like, yeah, that's pretty dope. Like, it's pretty dope. Said it like three times. Like, he was, you know, he's enjoying this moment. 
Now, next thing you know, you know, he's carrying them damn near in, in the second round off to a good start. And to your point, it is, if you're the Grizzlies, it's such a different landscape than, you know, that playing game when you thought if we just beat Steph up enough and show these guys who we are, you know, then we can pull this thing out. I wonder how the Grizzlies go about defending these guys in game two, because I thought the rotations were a little bit off in game one. Uh, there were so many moments. For, I mean, credit the Warriors. Because when the Grizzlies were late on a rotation, it felt like, especially in that third quarter stretch where the Warriors were were really just moving the ball so well, it was like if the Grizzlies were late on a rotation, the Warriors would find the open guy like every time. They'd swing to the corner. If the Grizzlies rotated in time to the corner to bother somebody to make it just a good shot, not a great shot, they'd swing it back out to the wing. The Warriors were just getting these great looking jumpers every single time. And, and I think the Grizzlies can shore that kind of stuff up. But I'm really curious to see how they try to guard when these guys are on. And I'm really curious to see the lineup constructions now that Steve Kerr throws out there, because like Gary Payton, the second is a guy who I thought would be very important for this series. And I think Steve Kerr had to agree because he started him in game one and he played him for a lot of closing time in that game as well. And I think he's important as a jaw defender. Uh, and, and, you know, we saw what happened like crunch time. Jordan Poole gets on Ja, and Ja goes straight to the rim. And, and that's the number one thing that they wanted to take away from Ja was like him getting to the rim. They were so extreme going under screens, sagging off of him, all that stuff. They want to make him a jump shooter. And I'm really interested to see how how the, the Grizzlies end up defending when the Warriors have all of those offensive guys out there. And I'm really interested to see how Steve Kerr can figure these lot can figure these configures these lineups so that uh, they can they can continue to kind of get Ja. Look, he put up a hell of a line in game one, but he was for the most part taking a lot of the shots Golden State wanted him taking. And I'm he really interested to see oh, how the words. Thirty-one do that. shot attempts, which is extremely high. Uh, Eleven three-point attempts, I think, is one off a career high. Um, Desmond Bain only got up five threes, only made one. He's currently on the injury report with lower back soreness. Um, he was getting treatment during the game. Like to me, that was like from the Memphis side. Like they got to get jo- Desmond Bain going. How good was he in the Minnesota series? He was yeah, Slater, I was going to ask you about the Desmond factor. Um, I didn't yeah. hone in on him. Like how much of that was an off night? How much of that was the Warriors? Uh, I would say both. Like he, he, like you know, where we were sitting, he kept during timeouts was just there, like really stretching. He was always stretching during the. Um, just breaks and you could tell like something was bothering him. So I don't think he was fully himself, but also, you know, you were talking to Warriors people before the series or even during the off day yesterday. And it was like, don't get detached from Desmond Bain, like stay attached to him. It was like very high on their scouting report to do list. And as Fred said, I mean, they're treating John Morant like he's Russell Westbrook. It's kind of, uh, you know how I've put it, but they are begging him to shoot threes almost you know, like pride threes, like, look, we really right. don't think you can make that shot. So you better take it, you know, right. to prove to us that Put you can make it. And he made threes. four. He, the first two plays of the game, he makes threes. They're the first six points of the series. They don't care, though. They're, they're staying off of him. And if he's taking 11 threes and Desmond Bain is taking five, the Warriors are taking that, like, every game of the series. Yeah, I mean, he's and look, 34 conventionally, and a half. that 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 sort of defensive strategy conventionally is considered kind of what you were saying, Slater, where it's, we don't believe in your jump shot, so take the jump shot. But there's another side of it, too, which is that a lot of Jaws facilitating comes when he comes around to pick and roll or he comes off of an ISO and he gets to the lane and he finds someone for a lob or he finds Brandon Clark cutting or he finds Desmond Bain in the corner. Part of the reason Desmond Bain killed against Minnesota was because Jaw was just getting middle and or when Jaw was able to get middle, he could kick out and find Desmond Bain for corner threes or for or for wing threes. And Minnesota, I thought, actually did a really good job against Jaw playing a different kind of strategy. They were just like swarming him. They were blitzing him often. And that was a different sort of strategy. They have different defensive personnel. Uh, but when Jaw was able to get to the middle, that was how Bain got a lot of his shots. And when you sag off him like that, you're... When you bait him into those jumpers, you're also encouraging him not to be Jaw the facilitator, which is quite possibly his his greatest offensive trait. Yeah, I mean, look, Ja Morant, 31-10-9 loss. Warriors are taking that every time. It's kind of what they did with Jokic. It's a very different version of it, but with Jokic, it was one-on-one try to make him a scorer, not a passer. Similar with Ja, try to make him a jump shooter, not just like a downhill assassin. And 
they're I mean, this is when we mentioned like the Warriors, you know, championship DNA or whatever. Like to me, this is where the experience helps. They've done this against Russell Westbrook. It's why they were successful, uh, you know, in that Thunder series in a lot of ways, because they know they they, they use weaknesses of superstars at times against them. Uh, this and you can flip to the defensive end. They know Jaw is similar to Westbrook defensively he he loses focus at times off ball he's obviously smaller for a guard sometimes they want to try to hide him on Andrew Wiggins well they're telling Wiggins go crash the glass okay they're having him on Gary Payton Gary Payton just every time he turns his head slash you're going to find yourself open um and you know maybe the biggest bucket of the game you know he cuts behind jaw and Brandon Clark as Taylor Jenkins really wanted to let me know it wasn't just jaw's fault but you know he cut behind John gets a layup, like an easy layup with with under two minutes left in a two point game. So, what are we referencing there, Slater, with your Taylor Jenkins passive aggressiveness? <laughs> he was non passive aggressive. I just asked him about. I was like, you know, Jaw um, got back cut for a big layup, and you know, gave up an offensive rebound to Andrew Wiggins. Like, what more do you need from him in those situations? And he said, first of all, that was not John Morant's assignment, so that's completely incorrect. Um, which. It was it was fine it, to me. What it read as don't is like poke the grizzly. Yeah, it, it read as like you know, th- don't come to Tennessee and like go after <laughs> the superstar. <laughs> yep, and which yep. is fine. I mean, it's, it's it's very informative to me. It uh, is, and for the, you sure. know, you look at the play and sure, like Brandon Clark and John Moran are both kind of like should be aware that this guy's cutting for for a huge layup, and neither are. But it was. And then on the offensive rebounds, he was like, and we gave up 26 second chance points. That's a team thing, not a John Morant thing, which I, it's fair also. I just, it's interesting. They, were, they they do seem a little bit defensive of John Morant's defense, uh, you know, in that organization. Right, right, right. All right. Speaking of superstars who are facing defenses that are loading up on them and exposing some of their few weaknesses, Luka Doncic out here in Phoenix. Uh, let's dive into that series a little bit, guys. I'm obviously here. Um Admittedly dragging a little bit yesterday was a long day, um, but fun game, you know, fun game, uh, fun-ish game. The, the Suns looked fantastic. They, they're up 26, 22-6 early, and Luka, excuse me, you know, Luka is struggling a bit with Mikael Bridges right out the gate. Uh, you know, if it wasn't Mikael, they're switching with Chris Paul, and, and Chris was doing fine. Uh, it's crazy. Of all the, the games I've covered, certainly in the high thousands, if you will, um, don't rem- remember many when a guy drops 45, 12 and eight and you feel like he wasn't great and he could have been better. And, and it's a little bit like the John Morant things later in terms of Monty Williams and the Suns, you know, clearly deciding that, you know, Luca's superpower is is not just his scoring ability. And yes, he winds up with eight dimes, but but that was half of their team total. And by the time the Mavs ever got anything going, you know, they were in a massive hole uh, in terms of, you know, that early lead. So I thought Phoenix looked great. They let go of the rope a little bit late. And I don't kind of give too much credence to, to that meaning anything. It never actually felt like the Mavs were going to win this game. Um, it did feel like Phoenix, and I kind of wrote this, that they, they were back on track as a team with, you know, massive title aspirations here and a team that was eight games better than those Grizzlies, the second best team in the NBA during the regular season. Um, what did you guys see in that one? I mean, look, what what have we heard all the time from people around Dallas for a long time now? They want a second legitimate off the dribble threat next to Luka. And we saw Jalen Brunson take that on against Utah. He struggled in game one against Phoenix. I, you're, you're watching that game and you're like, man, this is just... Utah really has a problem. Here. Yeah. Like I know yeah, yeah. I know Phoenix has a really good defense. And Mikel Bridges is freaking great. And Crowder is really good. And they they defend hard and have great team defense and individual defenders and everything. But it's like, man, this does not bode well for Utah. There were moments where Luca got trapped and Jalen Brunson could have attacked or someone right. else could have attacked. And it just didn't really work. But quite honestly, I think the bigger issue was that the Suns just absolutely sliced them. Like defensively, it was offensively. It was just a masterclass from from uh, from Phoenix and from DeAndre Ayton, and they were just getting whatever shots they wanted. I think the Suns scored 130 points per 100 possessions in that game. It's like crazy offensive performance uh, against the Dallas defense that has been quite good in the second half of the season. I just think Phoenix is so good on both sides of the ball that like. 
if you're going to let them score like that and take those kinds of shots, like you're just, you're, you're kind of finished. I mean, DeAndre Aiden was great. You know, he has 25. That's not your typical Aiden evening, obviously a, a you know, result of, of the Mavs playing smaller. Um, but you're right. I mean, Monty Williams afterwards, Fred, I forget which stat he highlighted on the box, but it, he acted like 121 wasn't, you know, that was the tip of the iceberg that, that he felt like they could have been scoring 130 plus. Um, and they just, they got a, a whole thing. Devin Booker defensively, uh, you know, did a great job on Brunson. And, and you're dead on about the Jazz. I'm watching this thing as they figure out their offseason and what decisions they want to make. Um, it was a hell of an indictment when it comes to, to Dallas and how they looked against Utah. Can I shout out Mikael Bridges? Um, Do it. 42 minutes in game one. He's now, these are his minute totals in the first seven games of the playoffs. 38, 40, 40, 41, 47, 44. It was 47, 44 in the last two games of that closeout of, of the Pelicans. 82 games played this season, 82 games played every season of his career to this point. Uh, and that type of minute total, you know, I cover a team where, you know, they're older, but they literally, nobody on their team has once played 40 minutes in any of the playoff games so far. Uh, he's just a rarity uh, from just an availability and just usage standpoint. And obviously, you know, Sam, you can speak to this. I haven't been there last, yesterday, but like what an impact he has. Uh, and it's just crazy. Longest consecutive games played streak in the NBA. No, he's great. He's fun to watch. I think people are finally starting to appreciate him more. You know, Booker had uh, a not so subtle comment post game about this is why he should have been defensive player of the year. Um, you know, which certainly some people feel he had that spectacular block against Reggie Bullock in the corner that, you know, it was Herb Jones, this Herb Jones ish where he was just flying and then somehow getting to the ball. Um, he's, you know, Chris Paul is the head of the snake on the offensive end, but Mikhail is that guy on the defensive end. Um, and he's spectacular, you know, and they locked him up last season on that extension, have him in a good number. And this is where Phoenix and, and everything they, you know, have built is so sustainable. You have, okay, Chris Paul is not a young man, so we'll see how long he can do this thing. But, um, they're a hell of a team, man. I don't know where else to take that, but you know, I do not think this is going to be a long series. I feel like they're going to take care of Dallas pretty quick. I have a question. Yep. Since since the premise of this podcast is is I mean we are tampering. It's the Ooh, what's the, the tampering premise angle? Is, yeah. Well, well, not the tampering angle, but from a uh, front office maneuvering angle. So Mikael Bridges extends before this season four for ninety. I totally get why he did it. If I'm a player and you get ninety million dollars thrown in front of you, and that is just life changing generational money, uh. If Mikael Bridges had turned it down, if he had gone the other Bridges route, the Miles Bridges route, and just turned down the extension, and he were going to be a restricted free agent after this year with the season that he'd had, and everything else went exactly the same. I mean, I, I think we can all agree he'd be getting more than four for 90 on the free agent market. His max is like almost twice that in guaranteed money. It's like five for 180. What, what do we think he would get if he were a free agent after this year? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think he, it would be max-ish. You would be yeah. in that territory. It really would. Um, his offensive game has come and gone a bit. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's had spikes. Um, so, I guess if you were looking at something to, to take a little bit off the top, maybe that would be it. You know, and, and he's not generally seen as a guy on the offensive end who's going who's gonna to carry you or, or be an alpha male. Um, but he's talented and he shoots the hell out of it. So, you know, it's, it's way beyond three and D it's, it's a lot of other stuff in there too. And, and the D is, uh, you know, um, we're going to edit that part out. I can't believe I just was dropping D reference. No, we're not yeah. editing it. Now. <laughs> we're not editing it. Now. Are you kidding me? I a few it's all about the D's. Um, the to defense take that, is fantastic. To take the, you know, your question a step further, Fred, what, what type of situation would the Suns be in? If they're sitting there, they haven't been able to, you know, decide on eight. And imagine if they were deciding on eight and, and bridges. I mean, then we really would think about the eight you know, and thing. I want to try to revisit that one of these days, maybe when I'm out here, but like, man, you know, he needs to be running by Robert Sarver courtside and just screaming, and give him my max. Cause that, uh, that should be coming his way. Yeah. What, what just any other just observations from the ground in Phoenix? Uh, um, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, we talked about it offline a little bit. The, the crowd, it's interesting. As you know, Slater, this, I'm going to get myself in trouble with Suns fans, but like this was not my favorite crowd last year. They they were just like too Fred, amped getting, up. 
taunted by skateboarders during <laughs> the finals. They, Bart, there was a bunch of Bart Simpson, Bart Simpson Suns yes. fans like beating him up, basically. You're like trying to get an Uber one night, and these like shirtless, you know, teenage dudes roll by on their skateboards and literally like damn me right in my face. We're like Suns at F and four. Like, bro, like, chill out. Okay, so I said offline, like, it really did feel last year like they hadn't been in the playoffs in, I think it was 11 years. Um, They were just too thirsty, and they were too amped up. And then when you had that brawl in the second round between the Suns fan and the Nuggets fan, it just kind of, like, sparked something, I thought, kind of ugly. And, and like, you know, and so then Suns and F and 4 became, you know, a rallying cry and, Everything was just a little too much. Um, this year, I kind of wrote this. They feel like a fan base and a team that, you know, it's act like you've been here before. Monty Williams has been preaching a, a bit of a one game at a time approach. I wrote a little anecdote about how JaVale McGee, uh, you know, former Warriors later um, and three-time champion, told you know, they, they beat New Orleans in the first round after the first game. And he kind of did that classic thing where he tells the guys in the locker room, like 15 more, you know, 15 more, we got to go. And Monty kind of told him like, Hey, let's not go the 15 more route. It's just, it's one game at a time. Like he didn't, he didn't want like the mental, you know, kind of approach of looking at the the whole thing. It was literally day by day. And the Suns fans are kind of seemed to be in that mood. Like they were jacked. They were fun. They were supportive. Um, but you know, they'd know that this team is supposed to go until the end and then we'll see if they can do that, but good vibe. I mean, it's a great home crowd. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a great city. I enjoy being out here. It's not uh, as hot as it was last time we were around. So that part is nice. So no complaints. It will be a month from now. <laughs> right. You know, probably. And by the way, it's way, way too early to look ahead, but Warriors Suns profiles as a spicy, fun, Potential West Finals. Look at you, Grizzlies Nation. Pay attention to Slater. What he's doing here? He's just. He's, My God, he's he's just, he's shitting on your airport, right? <laughs> hey, I was shouting out the media seats, uh, the vibe in the arena. The media seats got me one to go to Memphis. He's uh, pissing off Taylor Jenkins. You My guys God. know that the unspoken that part. Happen. Well, it's not unspoken, I guess, because I'll speak on it. But like reporters people we don't root for teams we we're done with that like we try to tell stories and cover this stuff do we root for selfish like logistics yes absolutely so i tell people all the time like with the warriors i feel guilty because like my life is a little bit better in the playoffs if the warriors go deep because i live somewhat close to there i can sleep in my own bed so I've been kind of going, all right, let's, let's go Golden State, you know, but now Memphis with, you know, with courtside seating and and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I could go in and be the good cop to Slater's bad cop since he's in there pissing everybody off. I think that could be fun. This is also why Sam is is locked into this Kings coaching search. He needs them to turn around and make the playoffs for the first time. In I know one of these days, nearly two thousand. Would you like baby. to give an update on the on the Kings coaching search? Uh, I'll do that briefly on the other side of this ad break. We will be right back to talk uh, briefly Kings coaching search. That's a good idea. Uh, Philly, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee. We will go to the East Side. Be right back. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, gentlemen, uh, Slater, since you uh, you asked for it, yes, Kings coaching search, you know, one of three vacancies right now, Lakers and Charlotte as well. You know, tis a season for stuff like that in addition to the playoffs. Um, Kings interviewing the finalists this week, uh, final round of interviews in person. We got Mike Brown, 
We got Steve Clifford. We got Mark Jackson. Um, the first round was over Zoom with seven candidates. They cut it down to three. Now Vivek Ranadive, King's owner, will be part of the process. That is certainly normal, natural, um, and we'll see what they do. You know, there's, like always, there's rumblings about kind of what direction they might go. You know, I, I think inevitably, you know, Mark Jackson's history with Vivek and the Warriors and the fact that he was the Warriors coach when Vivek was the minority owner there. And, and you know, not just that, but other rumblings have led people to feel like, you know, that Mark is is uh, the guy that, that Vivek is keyed in on, if you will. Uh, and that, you know, the front office might be looking more at Mike Brown. So we'll see. I, I feel like Steve might be in the background there, but you know how these things go too. I mean, the, the handicapping of it, uh, once the decision finally gets made, sometimes we miss the mark. So I hesitate to speculate too much, but an interesting search, um, you know, it's a defensive minded coaches for a franchise that like looked at it yesterday. They haven't been, uh, what was it like, like better than. It- yeah, I read your I read your story. I think I mean it was bottom ten for since Rick Adelman was was around. Yeah, like nineteenth, I think was the best in yeah. since two thousand six. Uh, they were eleventh in defensive rating the year they made the playoffs in two thousand six. Um, so yeah, I mean you know like always, Kings trying to to find somebody to turn their thing around, and and we'll see what they do there. Well, also walking into a, a core that is built around Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, which has the chances to be a great pick and roll tandem, but that's going to be difficult to build a non, you know, bottom 10 defense with those two. Yeah. I mean, as plenty of people have said, like, you know, your best defender is a six foot guard and Davion Mitchell. So, you know, that's not a great starting point foundationally, if that's a word. A six foot guard who is probably going to have to play off the ball and next year starting point guard and, it's and, all, and also yeah. just completed his rookie season. You know, we're not talking about you know mid prime. Yeah, he's twenty four. Right. Right. We're not talking 24. about Marcus Smart. Yeah, we're not talking about prime. He's Marcus older Smart. though. That part yeah. I don't give too much to. No but, doubt. I'm just yeah. saying, like the guys played one season of basketball in a Kings. Oh yeah, disappointed. Yep, yep, um, yep. So that's the deal. There, we will see what they do. All right, let's talk. Uh, which you got? You guys want to go Philly, Miami, or, or uh, Boston? Milwaukee. I'm fascinated by Philly. All right. Fred wants to Fred talk Philly. Fred might be the only person to say that. He's fascinated Fred, take by the, the mic. what I believe is the worst of the four series, but go ahead. Do you fear the beer, Fred? I'm just fascinated by what, well, I think Brian Wilson might be a little more feared than <laughs> James Harden right If you now. don't know, look it up, people. Brian Wilson, Giants reliever. Brian Wilson was good. That Great was a, beard. That was, that was the 2010 Giants he was the closer for? One Great of the beard. even year titles. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Uh, I mean, I just how concerned should the Sixers be with the fact that James Harden just can't get by anyone like Miami switches everybody onto Harden. They mean, look, it's one thing for him to just like want to step back against Bam. But like, I don't know. He he he. The reason that James Harden was as great as he was was because he didn't need a, a pick. You know, he could just go one on one against you and create space. And and James Slater, Harden. Are you is noticing not, that past tense there? I just gotta not let that slide. Was it's very intentional. Yes, yes. It's it's very intentional. It's over. It's a wrap, he says. I, well, I don't know if it's the hamstring that's been bugging him all season, which if it is, then maybe he just takes the off season and, and he's back. That's always a total possibility. But the thing that made that made James Harden before we saw what James Harden is doing right now, an all-time offensive player, and what made Daryl Morey say he was the greatest scorer who ever touched the basketball was the fact that he didn't need a screen. He didn't need to run a pick and roll. It was why they felt so comfortable trading Clint Capella in Houston and just going with four out around around Russell Westbrook, I guess, but having, having James Harden there and just letting him square up guys. It was because Harden didn't need a screener. He could just go one-on-one against everybody and get by guys, create space on his own. And he's not this unbelievably explosive guard, but he's got a quick first step. And he's got this unbelievable kind of unmatched footwork when he has the basketball. And like, this has been a problem basically all season going back to Brooklyn where he just hasn't been able to get by guys. And Miami, meanwhile, is switching everyone onto Harden in game one. He's going up against Tyler Hero and he's not driving by Tyler Hero. He 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 drove by Max Struess in one-on-one one time and he threw a lob to DeAndre Jordan. 
And I believe that was the only time that he like went up against somebody and cleanly drove by him in game one. And I'm just, if this is not a hamstring thing with, with Harden, uh, I am, I am just, I mean, he's a free agent after this year. Philly is either going to max him out or come really, really close to maxing him out. And I just wonder what this means for their future, because I don't know what, what should we expect from him moving forward? Well, and so. to add the other layer to it, the obvious but relevant layer is like it's the psychology of Daryl Morey and, and, you know, the history between the two of them and the backstory of, of Daryl obviously bringing James from Houston to Philly. And that kind of, you know, that it's funny because the guy who is certainly a kind of a forefather of analytics I think is going to have to battle his own just kind of very human tendencies, which is like you are so invested in this individual that you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror and and make the right decision for the franchise as opposed to just, you know, continuing to gamble, even if it doesn't look wise. By the way, Draymond Green has picked the Mavericks to win the series. He said Suns will win game one and the Mavs will win the series. I just, it's curious to do that, you know, just be picking you know the series that you're going up against next i um, just did that right now <laughs> i just saw them from his podcast twitter account tweet out don't draymond tease me Harry Slater. you want to talk draymond we will talk draymond matches. you haven't really talked draymond you know? i mean can we yeah. can we can we dub draymond as the best emoji user on in on nba twitter at this point when every time somebody gets hit in the nuts, it's like somebody blows the conch and Draymond is able to hear it and knows he's supposed to tweet a laughing emoji. Right. Are you indicating, Fred, that that he's better at Twitter than another famous Michigan State alum basketball player with Magic Johnson and his Captain Obvious Twitter account that is amazing in its Magic- own right? It's so <laughs> it great. Fantastic. It's so great watching... <laughs> Winning time and seeing how oh, compelling time. Okay. Well, just yeah. seeing how compelling and captivating Magic Johnson was as a person, and then going to his Twitter and seeing him <laughs> say things like, Two big market teams that need to get better are the Lakers and the Knicks. And and just seeing the juxtaposition between those two personalities. It's like, is winning time completely lying to me about magic? If they did realistic winning time, would magic have just been up there saying the Lakers are winning a lot of games? There's I'm like just, a Wizard of Oz character behind his Twitter account that it's not him. It's just some, you know, 70 year old retired school teacher woman that you know, tweets about the NBA back to the Philly series. Um, yeah, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. How about Deandre Jordan? Um, minus 22 in 17 minutes. I mean, I, I just don't know if they can play him, um, but obviously the MB being out. Um, yeah, this is, this would be James Harden's time to basically earn that max contract, right? Go get one in Miami without Joel Embiid. Like to me, that is the task. He still has one more chance at the task, but yeah, so, well, can I give it, a quick stat there, Slater, to, yeah. to augment your argument? Um, James Harden has not scored 25-plus points. Uh, you know, we just got into May. He did not do that in April at all. And I'm, I'm looking at his game log here. I mean, he's gone 30-plus once since. Let me keep scrolling, scrolling. Since late January. This is to Fred's point. Uh, you know, I don't care. Embiid, no Embiid, different team, different landscape. Is James Harden. This is the guy who got the MVP by being that guy. And I mean, that alone is staggering to me just on the scoring side. That that is um that's a guy who averaged 40 in a month. Right. Like that's that's incredible. By the way, can we give some props to Bam out of bio? This is gonna be his Oh, he's having series. fun without the big fellow in the middle. Oh, like no MB. They're playing Tobias Harris at the five some, and he's just I mean, Tobias is playing hard, but it's just Bam is too big and he's too good. He's he's roasting DeAndre, like you said. I think Paul Reed is too small for him. It's just Bam at 26, 12, and 4 in game one. And I just, as long as Embiid is not there, it's like I just feel like Bam is going to do whatever he wants. He's switching on to guys on the perimeter. He's Harden doesn't even attempt to drive by him, which is like we use, I think we overuse the term that a guy can guard all five positions. Usually the guy 
maybe can guard two, three, four, and you can kind of switch them onto ones and get away with it, and kind of switch them onto fives and get away with it, but it's not preferred. But like Bam guards all five positions. It's it's well, and this is why I, I don't blame him. This is why he was mad he didn't get Defensive Player of the Year. You know, I didn't think he deserved it just based on games played. That does matter a lot to me. But that general point that he's doing, I mean, especially in the context of the the, you know, omnipresent Rudy Gobert discussion, you know, um, and the limitations that, that Rudy does have when it comes to the perimeter. Bam is like, yeah, I got this. I got all this. And and he's incredibly unique in that way. Yeah, he, I mean, what he did to Trey Young's offense in the first round is a little bit like what he did yesterday. But just, you know, if he can switch on to you, it's very difficult for Trey Young to play the high screen game. And once Trey Young couldn't play the high screen game, like Atlanta was frozen essentially and i feel like that is he's he basically did that uh you know obviously to harden and maxi maxi had a very bad game one um what about the stunner of the game ones overall in the second round i thought milwaukee before beat boston and boston. sorry real quick slater i know you gotta run i just want to more answer your question more on the nose i don't th- i think you know james is to me is going to be back daryl will i don't know if he's going to give him everything but i think you know they're gonna they're gonna tell us that the hamstring was a bigger deal, and I just I don't see this ending any other way than them trying this Harden and Bead duo, you know, in a year. I mean, now Joel is hurt. That this is why they did it. They gave up too much, and you could argue like, yeah, okay, well, don't keep going down that path if you don't think it's gonna work. But I would be stunned if if this is not you know their attempt at a little super team in Philly after this summer. I wonder if this makes them. I wonder if this makes them any more prone to just doing whatever they can to try to bring in one more max guy. Yeah. Because because yeah. Harden is up, yeah. he could take a little bit less. They could they have some draft picks left. They could attach him to Tobias Harris, drop him to somebody's What do you mean space. another max guy? They Tobias Harris is a max guy. No, I think you're yeah, right. Well, Fred. they could I mean they I, could, I've they reported could drop that Tobias and like Fred it's it's doable if they are desperate enough to get it done. It's it's doable. When the Sixers got him, James, they their intel was that he would potentially be willing to take less. Uh, and obviously, you know, nobody knows him better than Daryl. Um, so, you know, that wouldn't shock me at all as, you know, a possible solution out of this. All right, guys, uh, one more ad break, and then we're going to talk some Boston, Milwaukee, the greatness that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. We'll be right back. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, gentlemen. Last one here on the second round playoff pod debut. Um, Giannis was great again in game one. The Celtics... Uh, realize that it's a little tougher to defend a team that actually moves the ball and a team that doesn't play ISO ball like the Celtics so often do and, and have for so many years. Uh, so I don't know what side of that game and, and this series you want to start on, but the the Bucks without Chris Middleton, you know, showing out the way they did, I thought was incredibly impressive. Drew Holiday, uh, I like, man, I should give credit, but I forget who this was. Somebody else on our podcast network made a great point. I'll just give it to Jay King because he's Mr. Boston. Um, that, that Marcus Smart looks at Drew Holiday 
And it's just like, oh, damn, like you defend like me and then you're better on the offensive end. So that's a tough matchup. Um, so, you know, Milwaukee actually, you know, kind of flexing like the champs was impressive. What did the Celtics shoot like on twos? It was something like, you know, historically bad or like one of 15 or something on like paint twos or something like that. Just think I got stats just for days. You don't need right to get me Slater. Generally, Jeez. the point yeah. is like yes. they were really locked up. And now is that just like an abnormal bad shooting night and it's going to I mean, reverse? they were 33.3% overall, 28 out of 84. Uh, yeah. On twos. Uh, go ahead. I'll do the math. Yeah. I mean, it's just like maybe they that's just like you know, they'll, they'll hit their their mid-rangers especially like tatum and brown and and that'll reverse course um i know i've talked to people who still remain very confident in boston in the series but also like you know milwaukee even without chris middleton like that is a, a great defense i mean drew holiday and Giannis, you could make a case for both as like top five defenders in the league they got two of them on the same team brooke lopez has has held up health wise to this point so uh yeah, I mean, it's we talked going in how tough a matchup this was for Giannis because of all what Boston could throw at him from a defensive perspective. Well, it's a little bit flip side of that did. too, right? And they did though. Well, and just to hit the hit that side of it real quick, I mean, that's what I loved about Giannis's game. I mean, he's nine of twenty five from the field, and and they did throw that stuff at him. Al Horford was kind of leading the way, um, but he's seeing you know two, three, four, five different defenders. But he he kind of, you know, he went back to the old Jason Kidd Bucks days when Jason, to his credit, put the ball in Giannis's hands as a point guard. And he and he just started finding guys. And because Middleton's out, you had one less you know ball dominant guy and Giannis had to pick up more of the slack there. And I thought as a playmaker, he was he was fantastic. You know, I thought it would be interesting. Uh, I thought Middleton was going to be so important in this series. Part of the reason I thought Boston was going to win coming into it was not just because Middleton is such a good player, but also because like they needed his one-on-one offense against Boston's defenders just to be able to get off high percentage shots because when Chris Middleton takes them, they're high percentage shots. And it's it it's kind of amazing that that Milwaukee came in and just completely affected Boston on the other end the way that they did. Like you mentioned Brooke Lopez's health holding up. He was a huge reason for why Boston not just didn't shoot well inside the three point arc, but like their shot selection was so affected by, by Brooke Lopez. Just, they didn't want to come near him. He was totally deferring, uh, just kind of deterring them from going into the paint. Uh, and, and so I just, I think Brooke Lopez gets Giannis might be the best help defender in the league and drew holiday gets his due, but Brooke Lopez as a rim protector, he, he had a really strong game one and, and he's, he, he's, that back injury was worrisome. You have a guy in his 30s, seven footer, having a back injury and missing months because of it. That's just, you're never like, okay, it's fine. He's coming back. He'll be great. And he just looks like Brooke Lopez. Milwaukee's defensive rating in the playoffs is 93.5. That's number one, obviously. Number two is Miami with, at 103.0. So, I mean, they're, they're 10 rating points wow. efficiency wise better. Their wins in these playoffs. Or, you know, this is what they've given up point totals in their wins to the other team. 89 to Boston in game one, 86 to Chicago, 81 to Chicago, 95 and 100 in the four wins. I mean, like they basically you're just in this age are just holding teams under 100 points in the playoffs. Some Sacramento Kings level defense right there. Man, shots. <laughs> all right, I'm going to let y'all go with that, especially because uh, Buck Celtics has the far and away the shortest shelf life on this pod. Their game is, is hours away. Uh, I will do quickly on the way out here. Uh, you, you guys up for a little prediction game to see where we think things are going and we can chuckle at ourselves when we, we get it wrong later? Yes. All right, Bucks, Celtics, Slater, go. Celtics still maybe 6-7-ish. To me, it's probably going the distance. Fred. Yeah, I pick Celtics in seven, and I, I I guess I'll 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 keep with that. Bucks in six. Look, I'm gonna be bold. I think Bucks. I want to hear your bold sons and four take, but I want it like your Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Dubs Grizzlies uh, Slater. Uh, start with you, Warriors. Uh, that game one was massive, so um, I think it's going five six range. Okay, Freddie. Yeah, Warriors in six. Uh, yeah, I like that one. Warriors and six. Memphis is good, man. They'll, they'll get some. I mean, they got to get I, yeah, game two. I mean, this is a massive game tonight for the Memphis Grizzlies at home. 
game two after that gut punch loss? Like, do they respond? They blew out the Timberwolves in game two. Yeah. Like, this is ever this is the series tonight. Warriors get this one. I mean, it'll be quick. So um this will decide what type of series we're gonna we're gonna see, I think. No doubt. All right, Sixers Heat, Slater. Heat. <laughs> heat in uh, five, I'll say. I think MB we'll probably see MB between three and four, and I think they'll get one in Philly, but it seems like it's gonna be short to me. Okay. Fred? Yeah, this 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 feels like a gentleman sweep. This feels like it's like 3-0, Embiid comes back for game four, they win game four by eight, and then they go back to Miami, and Miami just kind of takes care of business at home. That's fair, yeah. No, I'll go I'll go Heat and five in that one. Uh, I'll give the Embiid factor one. And last but not least, Mavericks, Suns, Suns in F. I don't feel like dropping an F-bomb today. The kids are listening. Suns in three. <laughs> I think it's going I would six say, or seven. I do. And where's where's the offense coming from then? Luca. No, I mean, so, I hopefully you, you know, it, they can ignite Brunson a little bit. I guess. Um, I told Cato last night our Mavericks beat writer. Uh, we had fun chopping it up on his seventy-seven minutes pod. Check that out. Um, I said I, I was blaming Cato because he wrote this season preview or, or series preview, and his whole tone which was on point was that the Mavericks are happy to be here. They just finally got out of the first round. You know, this was not even, this wasn't some sort of buildup. Like when they made those moves at the trade deadline, they were trying to clear the decks with the Porzingis contract to Washington, figure out what kind of pieces to put around Luca. It's not as if they built their team and now they're just trying to see how far they can take it. This is gravy for them. And I just think in terms of their spirit and the competitive side, it kind of looked that way last night. And Phoenix is obviously on a mission. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Phoenix looks really good. I just I just think that it's really hard to pick against the Suns right now. Right. So well, the only question I had on Suns Phoenix and five series, I thought the Booker prediction. I thought Booker physically didn't look very good in game six. Understandably, right? You know, I th- it was like he's coming back this soon from the hamstring. Um, how did you think he just physically looked in person last night? I thought he looked good. Um, you know, he looked like himself. Offensively, he, he it actually popped more than I, I thought. Like, I looked at the box, and I thought he had gotten off a little bit more. He wasn't all that efficient. But defensively, like I hit on earlier, um, you know, a lot of time on Brunson and just doing his thing. So, he, you know, he he looks good. And, and Luca too, coming from his own injury. Um, although Luca, man, it never gets old seeing him in person. And like, I thought about it last night. He's like a, you know, what's the opposite of a poor man's, you know, it's, I guess a a rich man's Kyle Anderson, like his slow-mo style cracks me up with just the way he navigates the floor. Um, So, but yeah, Booker looked good and and it does seem like he's back to being himself. Gotcha. Well, I got to get the shoot around. All right, Jens. Did we get all the predictions in? I think Fred did. Yeah, we did. All right. Good stuff. All right. Thank you all. We'll talk to you next week.